waves last week. We have some out with uh, illness, and so this is a, a different group, and we have family members who are here for the baptisms. We're glad. We have, I think, eight baptisms today, and that's a really, that's a big deal. Um, I'm, I'm glad for all of this today. We're, we're excited about it, but I wanted to bring a message this morning about what baptism is. I want us all to go over there in an hour or so. Now, after, after the service this morning, we have about an hour to kill, a little less than an hour, but we have uh, sandwiches and drinks downstairs and, and chips and different things. Whoever is just there to kind of slake uh, your hunger a little bit and then kill some time before we go next door. Going straight over here to West Haven to do the baptism. They're very gracious to let us do that. And so I thought this morning we would have a message about what baptism is and what it isn't. It's a good idea, isn't it? What is baptism? And uh, we have a couple being baptized again. Is that right? baptized again and uh, my oldest brother brought me uh, to a good knowledge of Christ and one day he told me I'm going to be baptized on Sunday he's 40 years old I said really he said I'm not sure I knew what I was doing the first time looking back I'm not sure I knew what I was doing a lot of people in that boat and so we baptized again that's what it is it's an obedience active obedience to come to Christ and uh, identify with him and in, in your salvation and so the prerequisite to being baptized is being saved and if you don't know you're saved you shouldn't be baptized but you ought to be saved and get be born again and know the Holy Spirit lives in you and you know the Holy Spirit lives in you because you think different than you used to and here's a wild story you start acting different oh I know it that's a wild one that's why I put that pressure on people but you start acting and believing different and so um, I want to open this morning with this. We're going to look at what baptism is. And I want to open in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, in the 8th chapter, and beginning at verse 26. The book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 26. Very close up here for me with this railing up here, so I'm going to stand in the aisle today. And there's two things. You can see me better. That's the thrill. But I'll be here where I can see you. I want to know what you're doing. So we're doing Acts in chapter 8, verse 26. This is the story of the Ethiopian, the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, and it's a common story, but I want us to look at a couple things this morning. It says in verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. And the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near, and join thyself to the chariot. And Philip ran thither and to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this, 
He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shears, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip, and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet of this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, get that one? If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Father, we thank you for this hour now and ask your blessing on it. We thank you for this day and the beauty of it, Lord, that many here today are going to follow you in the obedience of baptism. And Lord, may it just absolutely be a symbol of the life they've chosen to live before you. May we be your servants well. May we profess and confess your name before others. May we do those things you've prepared for us to do individually. With Christ strengthened in his name. Amen. You see in that short story, it only seems long because I was reading it. That's a very short story. And what it says is multifaceted. It says that the eunuch was reading in Isaiah, and that is absolutely that's found in the 53rd chapter, the 7th and 8th verse. He was reading in Isaiah. And it came across the gospel. You know what the gospel is? The gospel is good news. We're going to look at that three or four ways this morning. The gospel is good news. Now everyone here who is saved and understands salvation, don't you want to just shake some people? Don't you want to say, why can't you see this? Why don't, why don't you see it? But you know what the work of the Holy Spirit is? The work of the Holy Spirit is twofold, and one thing is to illuminate the heart to the truth, and the other is to lift the veil from the eyes. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, if you get baptized here today, and if those of us who have been baptized, what we're saying is, I identify with the death, burial, and the resurrection of my Savior, that he came here and he died for me. They put his body in a tomb, and in three days, he, no one else, him, he rose again from the dead. Resurrected from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And because he did that, he gives us that same power. All of us who are born again here today, all of us who are Christians here today, death is no threat to us. It's an unknown, and people, it makes us a little nervous. We lay in bed. If you have the diagnosis that today is your day, or you're in the final hours or days, you think about that. That's only normal. I wonder what it's going to be like to meet Jesus. I'm telling you, it's going to be good. If you're a Christian, it's going to be good. If you're not a Christian, not so good. This is an awesome thing. He's either going to be your Savior or your judge. It depends on you. Savior or judge. Which do you want? It's up to you. It's amazing that our eternity depends on us. 
You meet Christ as Savior or Judge. It's an amazing story. But here we have this unique reading in the book of Isaiah. He comes across the gospel. And he says, who's this talking about? Under the direction of the Holy Spirit, Philip says, this is about Jesus Christ. And he understands salvation. He understands baptism as an obedience. It's an act of obedience, identification. He says, there's some water. Why can't we be baptized here today? What's the answer? You see what happened just before that. Philip preached Jesus unto him, beginning at that scripture. Is Jesus in the Old Testament? In the beginning, God. That's his name. In the beginning, God. That's his name. Verse 1, first three words, Jesus Christ. In the beginning. His name is the beginning. He is the beginning of all things. You go back to the book of Revelation, the, the consummation of the book, and he says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He that was dead and is alive forevermore. And that's the condition of us who are here that are saved if we accept him as our Savior. We're going to look one day, according to the book of Ezekiel and Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 26, Isaiah 14, we're going to look one day at Satan and go, that is what we fear? That's the thing? He's the one who put fear in us of these things that absolutely were not contrary to us? I don't know how many people you've seen or been with when they passed away, but I've been with several. And I'm telling you right now, there's a difference between the Christian death and unbelieving death. There's a difference. There's a peace. There's just a peace. And I've had some people surprise me. <laughs> I wouldn't have told you they were going the right way, but when they died, they gave confession, they had a peace, and I thought, wow. I'm glad the Lord's a judge and not me. You know how many people get saved when they're young and you'd never know it unless they told you because their life doesn't show it? That's an unrewardable life, but it's still a child of God. So many people are born into their families, and they get older, and they don't like their family anymore. They want to disown their family. You can do that. You can do that on paper legally downtown, but you can't do it in the throne of God. He puts you in that family for a reason, and you carry that DNA. I had an aunt die a couple years ago, 99 years of age. 99 years of age, my aunt died. She was my mother's. My, my father's sister. And they cleaned her house out. My cousins cleaned her house out and brought me pictures. This is not first generation stuff, I'm telling you. I mean, I'm, okay. Come on. No jealousy. This is, this has happened. Four generations look like me with a different head. DNA is there. It's who we are. I'm not upset, and I'm not particularly proud of it, and I'm not going to cry about it. It's what I am. The Lord made me this. But I want to tell you this about it. He put you in a place, in a family, in a time, in a position because he wanted you to live with a purpose, and he had a plan for your life. Oh, my mom was terrible. My dad was a bad... Really? Get over it. The Lord put you there. He knew all about it, and that was to teach you something. Learn that and not bitterness. And so it preaching Christ and he says what hinders me the answer is if you believe with all your heart those of you who are going to be baptized in an hour and a half those of you who are going to be baptized you believe in Jesus with all your heart boy I do I sure, I sure do 
I do. That's the prerequisite to baptism. Believing with all your heart. Then it says they went down into the water and came up out of the water. Now I'm not here to make fun of other denominations and churches, but I believe that is the picture and you shouldn't break it. I don't think slobbering on you or sprinkling you or slapping you. I don't think any of that is what the Lord said to do. You know why Moses died? Because he struck the rock. God said, go speak to the rock and water will come out. That will be the blessing. And he, he was angry with the people for murmuring. And he took his staff and he struck the rock. And God said, because you did that, you have to die. Why did he die? He broke the type. The Lord said, this is a great picture I'm giving the people to understand who I am. And you messed up the picture. You put a flaw in the picture. You put something else in the picture. That's going to cost your life. You didn't obey me. You destroyed the type. What is Jesus Christ? That rock that followed them was Jesus Christ, the rock of ages, the rock of our salvation. And when you go and pray to Jesus Christ, struck in the first time, that's the crucifixion. We do not crucify Christ every time we sin. The second time we pray. The third time we pray, we speak to the rock. We do not strike the rock again. This baptism very much symbolically is the same thing. What are you saying when you come to salvation and, and to come to a baptism? You say this, I want to show the world physically what happened to me spiritually. This old man died. And this old man was buried. And this old man was risen to a newness of life through the operation and the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? That makes more sense now because when this old man died, I was 10 years old. I was not an old man. And I'm going to tell you, I was so ignorant about most of the Bible. I still am. That's how I know that. I was so ignorant about most of the Bible, I didn't, I didn't know what virgin meant. I didn't know what a virgin was. Where I lived, who could know? But I want to say this. I didn't know what this was. I didn't know what atonement meant. I didn't know what resurrection was. I understood that Jesus died, went into a cave, and came out. I understood those things, but I didn't understand the doctrine of it really. But when the preacher told me this, this is what happened to you. Do you believe with all your heart? I said, I do. And I can tell you this. I did. At 10 years old, I did. I believed it with a, with a gross amount of ignorance that went with it. Here's what I believed. I believed things I didn't even know when I was 10 years old. And so some of you doubt yourself. Some people doubt themselves. Well, I don't know if I should be baptized. I don't know if I'm really saved. I don't know this. Listen, there's a lot you don't know, and that's what the Christian life is. Discovery. Learning what it is to be a Christian. It's a newness of life. Now, you have a baby here. There are some babies here this morning. One of them had to go home. Wasn't feeling good. We have one here. One's on vacation. We have three babies. Here's what happened. You bring that baby home from the hospital. You open their diaper up. Look what they did. It's a big deal. It's like, yeah, there's more of that to come. But that baby doesn't eat. That baby won't take nourishment. That worries mama for the first day. It worries the grandparents on the second and third day. And the doctor gets involved on the fourth day. Everybody comes around. 
everybody who's ever had a baby or had a neighbor that had a baby comes over and tells you what you should do. You gotta help that baby. If it doesn't need for a full week, the church gets involved. Other churches get involved and we start praying for this baby who won't take nourishment. Is that right? Misha and Nancy brought us a little boy who had heart trouble. He's a miracle today. Walking, living, breathing, miracle. But I believe this, the power of answered prayer. I do. I believe that, and I think the parents do. From, their, from what I read, they say. Well, I want to tell you something. We have a baby born in the church as this way. I, I can be 90 years old and get born again. And that's a new, that's an infant in Christ. That's a baby in Christ. And they won't take nourishment. They won't read the Bible. They won't come to church. They won't be in fellowship. They don't listen to radio Christian messages. They don't do any of it. And we have no concern whatsoever. We have a baby born again that has, won't take nourishment. And it's because they have heart trouble. And most of the church won't even pray for them. I'm telling you, people come to me and say, Pastor Don, that just throws me every time. Hey, preacher, uh, I'm Don. I deserve no titles other than Don. Hey, Pastor, brother, I got saved the other day. Boy, I'm excited for you, but I'm going to watch you. And if nothing changes, I'm not going to believe you very much. I'm not going to believe you very much. Can I tell you this? When the Holy Spirit comes in you and He dwells in your heart, everything changes. The way you see it changes. The way you vote changes. The way you think changes. Here's a wild story. The way you act changes when the Holy Spirit comes and resides in you. The things that you used to do out of the flesh, the things you used to answer quickly, the, 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 the quick rhetor rhetorical comments, you think about them and pray about them and say, Lord, I don't want It'll change. And if nothing changes, I don't believe you. Here's the story. I'm not the judge. But I don't believe you're called to be a hateful Christian. I don't, I don't see that spirit, that gift in the Bible. Cranky Christian. I'm called to be a cranky Christian. No, you're not. You and I are called to show the world that there's light in this dark place. And here's how you get there. You can live in the, you can live in the worst environment in the world and you can still have joy. It's hard to find happiness when you're struggling, but boy, this joy just comes out of you. You get your happy back. You get your joy back. You get that thing you had as a child because now you are a child again. And the reason you had it as a child was because you were taken care of. If you were in a good home, the thing that you had in joy and the peace that you had was because you knew you were going to be taken care of. I had a few things I had to do in the family. That was my responsibility, but I knew this. At the end of the day, it wasn't my responsibility. It was my dad's. And he never failed. I have that same thing today in this world. I have a father who's never failed me. I failed him a million ways and a thousand times, but I want to say this to you. He's corrected me for it because he loves me. He said, I'll take you the way you are, but I won't let you stay that way. I'm not going to allow that. That's the way my parents thought about it. Brought us home as babies, and they treated us like babies until we got a little older. Then we started doing child things, then we started doing young adult things, then we started doing adult things and we were made to do them and expected to do them. 
it says in Mark 1 and 9, uh, verse 9, it says this, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee and was baptized of John in the Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descended on him. And you read on and you'll find that God spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son. That is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all coming together. And so I want you to see now in John chapter 3 and verse 23, it says John also was baptizing in the, uh, the river near Salem because there was much water there and they came and they were baptized and that's Jesus' group. And listen, I'm going to tell you this right now. Listen closely. Jesus began his public ministry by being baptized. And that's how we began ours. Jesus ended his public ministry by commanding baptism. He started his ministry with being baptized. He ended by saying this, Now go you in all the world, teaching all nations, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He came and was baptized. He left and said, Now you do the same. Romans, the book of Romans in chapter 6. Now here's the premise of Romans 6. Because we're in Christ, because we're believers and we're found, the Bible says, in Christ, spiritually in Christ, and that He died in our place, we are counted dead with Him. That's the, that's the premise of Romans chapter 6. Read it with me, the first five verses. What shall we say then? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. I've heard this a million times. I have a co-worker. I have a co-worker who says she, he's, she's a Christian, he's a Christian, they're a Christian, whatever. I've heard this a million times. I have a co-worker who says they're a Christian, and they're always inviting me to things. And they always want me to be a Christian. But I'm going to tell you what. If that's what Christianity is, I don't want any part of it. Now, is that not a shameful thing? I said, what now? Well, I got a co-worker, man. They, they're always talking about Christ and Jesus and uh, their, re their religion and their salvation experience and all these things. But man, to just be with them, to, to be with them in, in, in a daily experience. Seriously, if that's, what, if that's what Christianity does to you, I don't want any part of it. The Bible says we are to walk in a newness of life. There should be something about the born-again Christian that people want. There should be something in your eyes and mine, in our walk, in our talk, in our actions, in our behavior. There should be something. Yeah, and I had a friend at dinner the other night, and the waitress said, 
get this now, I have kind eyes. I always have kind eyes in a restaurant. I was in a restaurant, my eyes are glowing. She said, are you so-and-so? And I said, no. She said, well, you remind me so much of this person. I said, okay. Have a loving kindness, my. You remember that. That's for you to remember. You wrote it down. Why? Can't remember it otherwise. I got that. She said that to me. You have loving kindness in your eyes. I thought, if you want a tip, we leave a tip. We leave a tip. Don't pass it. Not to beg. But she compared me to a fellow. She said, "Are you so? You, you remind me of so and so." Really? That guy looks like a grizzly bear. He's huge. I thought, what? Her eyes don't work. No wonder she thinks I have kindness in my eyes. But listen, we ought to get those kind of comments regularly as Christians. Boy, there's a kindness about you that I really appreciate. There's a gentleness in your spirit. Boy, when things are going bad, there's a calmness about you that just makes me feel like it's going to be all right. That should be a common occurrence with a Christian. And the reason is this. We died to our old self, the panicky self, the self that's always going, what if, what if, what if, what if. Hey, what if has another side. What if it turns out great? What if we all get raised out of this? What if we're all recognized for doing a great job because we're just going to do it no matter what the world's doing, we're going to do what we're supposed to do? What if? But our old flesh is what if and what if, and the what if on the old flesh is this. What if something bad happens to me? That's what it's really about. What if I don't get? What if I don't get? Well, let me tell you something about being a Christian. You've already got. You don't have to worry about you not getting something. You've already got it all. If you're a Christian here this morning, you've got all of it. All of it. Ye are, as Colossians says for the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit, ye are complete in him. Complete. Nothing else. If we'll stop believing what Satan says we're not and start acting like God says we are, we could have a different life like, like that. And I say this often, I got a bill one day in the mail for over $60,000. I got a bill for over $60,000 from the IRS. I called some woman down in Georgia, and I'm not sure how many lips she had, but I couldn't understand the things she said. And I said, you're going to have to just use two lips to talk to me. Made her mad for some reason. And I said, ma'am, I can't even understand you. She put somebody else on. Sweet little woman with a southern accent. I had a $64,000 bill from the IRS. I panicked. I was a Christian. I panicked. I called down there and said, $64,000. I said, if I had $64,000, I wouldn't owe the IRS anything. It wasn't my bill, but it was. Got that? Anyway. It was mine. Had my name on it, so security number up. After three hours on the phone, I took, we took a lunch break. The operator and I took a lunch break after three hours on the phone. I was sweating. I had to go take a shower and start over. I put three fans on me. I had a glass of ice water. And I called her back, and she answered. Between the two conversations, I hit my knees for ten minutes, and I said, Lord, I don't know how you're going to pay this bill but it needs paid, and I can't do it.
is what the lady said. She said, um, oh, I understand now what happened, and that, that is your bill, but I understand it's not your fault. And I said, well, that's true, but it's still my bill. And she said, you know, sir, and, and I already told her I was a pastor and all these things, and so we had Bible talk, and she's, a, she's apparently a Christian, clearly a Christian, and we were talking, and she said, I got something I want to tell you. There's a key here. I have a key on my... She said, if I hit that key, this will go away. Are you, are you going to hit the key? Are you, are you, can, can you hit the key? You have fingers, right? I don't know what she's doing. She goes, if I hit this key, it's all going to go away. And I said, you can do that? She said, oh, yeah, we have discretion on these things. I said, you can do that. Now I'm really sweating. Because I don't know if she's going to do it or she's messing with me. Because that's what women do. They mess with me. And so she said to me, I hear in your voice a kindness. And I know that these things happen. And I just hit that key, and it's all gone. Isn't that nice? And I said, why would you do that? And she told me, she said, the Lord saved me about five years ago, and I can't get over it. And I hear in your voice and in your testimony. I told her God's going to pay this bill. I just got to know how it's going to come out so he can get to work on it. And she said, as far as I'm concerned, he just paid it. Now, we, we're called in this life to walk in a newness of life. The reason the churches in this country aren't full, but the bars are and the, and the uh, football stadiums are, the reason the church lots are not full and the stadiums and the bars are is we don't act like we're, we, something happened to us enough. We don't live in a newness of life enough for the world to go, I don't know what you've got, but I want some of that. Mostly they look at us and say, whatever you got, I don't want. I don't want. Many Christians feel like this. This is what they tell me. I believe when I got saved, my problems would all go away. And most Christians live a frustrated life because problems keep coming. Not taking that next step, learning how the Lord will solve the problems. He is the answer to all problems. Give them to him and he will take care of them. But we get anxious like the world. We swear like the world. We get angry like the world. We treat people bad like the rest of the world. And people go, if that's Christianity, I don't see anything different. Other than they're annoying with their talk. They're just annoying to me. And so we see here now, in verse 3, that there's a spiritual unity with Christ. We're baptized into Jesus and into his death. This is a spiritual unity and identification with Christ. Galatians 3 and 27 says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And it speaks just like putting on a shirt, a garment, anything. We put it on. Now we're clothed with this new spirit. Verse 4 says, We're buried with him in baptism and to death, that is our old man, raised from death into a newness to walk in a newness of life. Now look at verse 11, it says, Likewise, reckon ye yourselves also to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ. Verse 13 says, Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness 
but yield yourselves unto God. There are three words in this passage, and, and we need to get uh, clear on this. Know, reckon, and yield. We're going to go over there now to a pool of water, and we're going to put you under there for a little bit and bring you up. That's a physical picture of a spiritual transaction. What already happened to you? What are you looking at me, Joe? When we baptized Joe, uh, Zach and I, all, we all got baptized that day again. I don't know when I finally got up. I believed. I believed, I tell you. Isn't that right, Joe? That was fun. Horse tank. Very fitting for us in that horse tank. What a... A cattle? You're calling your husband cattle? Horse and cattle. There's a difference. You take Joe up and see what you're talking about. There's a newness of life. We are to go into the baptistry knowing, knowing. Are you saved? You better know so. You can know so. This is not a maybe I'm saved, maybe I'm not. You have to know so. And everyone that's going to go into the water, I'm going to ask them how they got saved and they can tell me how it happened. They need to know it. And then you reckon yourselves. That's reconcile yourselves to that understanding. I know that I'm a Christian. I reconcile all things to that. I bring them together. It's, a, it's an accounting phrase for rec reconciling the books. You bring everything together and make it say the same thing. Everybody has to do it. If you have a checking account, you have a business, and you reconcile the books, that's called getting the numbers straight and making them say the same thing. You've got to say the same thing as the bank at least once in a while, or else the bank is going to contact you. Okay, now we know that we're saved. We reckon that salvation to be a newness in our lives. Then what do we do? We yield ourselves. We, we stop being us. This is where people who have pride walk away from this church and tell me they're not coming back. You yield yourself and say, I'm not in charge anymore. It's called humility, and very few people have enough of it to do it. It's called humility. You say this, God, you're in charge. I'm not. Here's people, and here's what people have the pride problem. They're afraid I won't be recognized for my, my gift. You know what? Once you yield in Christ, once you yield in Christ, you're recognized ten times as much. But people have a hard time with that who are proud. So what does this chapter teach us? We know that we know that we know that we're saved by the gospel. We know that we're a child of God. The Holy Spirit has confirmed in us and we know that we're saved. Listen here, if anybody can talk you out of being saved or that you are saved, you're not saved. If anybody can get you down and use language on you that would make you doubt your salvation, you're not saved. But you get saved and no one's going to talk you out of that. Something happened in you and you know it and God knows it, no matter who else knows it, you know it because the Holy Spirit made that transaction. And so now we reckon that to be true. We say this, I don't care if you believe me or not. Anybody here have ever had a toothache or an earache? I'm telling you, you're the only one that knows it. If it's bad enough, everybody knows it. Right? 
something happened inside of you. I don't know why, but when I was a little boy, I used to get earaches. I don't know why. I don't know why about that, but I used to get earaches and put sweet oil in there. The family would put sweet oil in my ear. Well, I'd lay there and that hurt so bad. My uh, my dad came in one night, middle of the night, and I was laying by. Our air conditioning was a cracked window with a screen on it. And every now and then, every now and then, on a hundred degree night, the wind would go, and you think, oh, huh? oh, enjoy that for a moment. Oh, God. grab the wool blanket. I was laying there with my head up on the windowsill on an August night. Hold my ear. I hurt so bad. I was holding my ear. My dad came in and said, "What's the matter, boy?" Two o'clock in the morning. I said, "Oh, it hurts. How do you know?" He said, "I could hear you moaning in there. I could hear you moaning." I didn't know I was moaning. Women, men don't know we moan. We just say stuff. We hurt worse than you do, and we want you to know it. It don't matter what it is, it's worse than yours. No one's ever been through it before. Most men would have died. We got through it. So I was in there moaning as a little boy, and my dad came in and said, well, he said, roll over here, and he put sweet oil in my ear. And he put a heating pad on my head and said, hold that up to your head, and put that oil will get warm. And it went away. One of my back teeth came in one night. Boy, I tell you what. Isn't that interesting? Something happened inside my body, and you no know, one could look at it and see that it happened, but they knew from my actions something was going on. And then I had a toothache one time, and as I, I was the only one on the planet who ever had a toothache. And again, this would kill most people, but I'll hang on. Let's get there. Back in the days, they used to use a 16-penny nail for a drill. You open your brain. But listen now, this is what baptism is. It's a physical picture of something that happened inside of you. Now when we get a toothache, I mean, the world knows it. Everybody around us knows that something ha something's happening in my mouth. When I got an earache, my dad knew it woke him out of his sleep, my moaning. <laughs> my brothers were apparently used to it. So when I got saved, and when you got saved, the whole world should know that something happened. How do, we, how do we fuss about a tooth and an ear and not show the world what happened in our spirit? I mean, there's a change that happens in you and me, and the world should know it. If you got saved somewhere past 20 years old, and somebody doesn't say what happened to you, you're different than you used to be, something's wrong. The world is not as scary to a Christian as it is to a non-believer. I'm going to make a confession this morning to you right now. My parents, as far back on my, my, my grandparents on both sides were alcoholics. I don't know about my mother's side, but my dad's side goes back at least four generations. I'm going to tell you something. If I wasn't a Christian and I lived in this crazy world, I believe I'd be an alcoholic. I'm telling you straight up, I believe I'd be trying to drown this world away from me. I believe I'd be an alcoholic if, if, if I wasn't a Christian. But I have a place to go and tell, and tell somebody who can fix it and have total peace that he's taking care of the problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. A friend of mine asked me one day about drinking. I don't, I don't like to smell that stuff. 
He said, about a week, you love it all. And you know what? Genetically, I probably would. I tasted Dr. Pepper once. I went to a taco bar one day. I don't know what happened to me. I got addicted to those things. But let me tell you this. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit's inside of you. The world should know it, and you shouldn't be able to hide it. But most of us do hide it pretty well. I don't know why. I want to say this morning very clearly to this group, I am so glad the Lord saved me. I'm so glad He saved me when I was a boy. And I'm glad He wouldn't let go of me. And I'm glad when I tell Him no, when He says yes, there's a problem and I get corrected. I'm glad for that. I'm glad that He said it's not about you. I'm glad the Lord teaches me every day, it's not about you. You humble yourself before me and do what I say, and you'll be surprised how good it comes out. I'm, I'm glad for that. I'm very thankful for that. And so we close this morning with this. We have this newness, which is a quality of life is different. We're to live by the principle now of regeneration. And what we're going to do here in a few minutes is a picture. And what that um, says is, in verse 5, we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. A likeness means portrait. We've been planted together, and this is a portrait of his death. We're, we're making a picture for the world to see. We're drawing a picture. And I'm going to stand every one of you up who's going to be baptized and say this. They've accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They want to follow him in obedience of baptism and identify with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. Is that right, everyone? Is that what we're doing this morning? That's what I'm doing. That's what I did, and that's what you're going to do if you're doing it with me. And we're going to say, by doing this physical act, this spiritual thing happened to me, and I want all the world to know it. I want to identify with my Savior and give witness in this likeness, this picture, this portrayal of what he did for me. It pictures the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ for us. And we do it as a picture of doing it with him. Now the devil wants this, the devil wants this baptism thing out of the church. That's why that's why very few churches baptize anymore. You wanna know why? I thought you did, so I'm gonna tell you. This is why. This is why the devil wants it out of the church, because baptism is a picture of the gospel. The picture of the gospel. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1, Moreover, brethren, Paul says this, listen very carefully. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believe in vain. For I declare unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Paul said, I didn't make this up. This is from God, from Christ. I also received this. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. What is the Gospel? He said, I'm declaring the Gospel to you, and this is it. That Christ died according to the Scriptures, was buried, and rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, that's the gospel. That's the good news. What are we doing? We're going over and saying we are identifying ourselves and participating in the good news. Christ died and rose again. 
we're, we died, He raised us again, and now we have this life, this new life to walk in. And so I asked this morning this question, and this is the one that we're again in a Baptist church here. I'm not very Baptist. I'm not very anything really. And people hold that against me, but again, I don't care. I'm not denominationally driven. I'm Bible driven. I don't care about denominations very much. I do think when you see some, you know it's a cult, stay away. But denominations as a whole, I don't care much about because they're not found in the scriptures. Every denomination has their set of rules. How can there be that many different set of rules if you're all going by the same Bible? I'm not driven that way. But I want to say this. I am driven this way. Is immersion, baptism immersion important? Does that make a difference to be immersed when baptized? And I say yes. The method, listen, the, the method of, is wrapped up in the meaning. Identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can't do that with sprinkling. You can't do that with whatever else. You can't do that with anything else than immersion. Now, listen closely. You cannot change the method. Uh, you cannot change the method without destroying the meaning. Much of the Bible is about symbols and types. Much of the Bible is written in symbology and typology. We are going over to symbolize, to picture, to make a portrait of what happened to me when Christ came and saved my soul. And so baptism speaks of what Jesus did when he saved us. And so the last thing I want to say is it's also a command of Christ. It's a command to obey. It's an act of obedience. It's exciting on our part to go over and say, I want to identify with my Savior. That's exciting. It's exciting to say, this is my witness to the world that watches this uh, act today. But I want to live in this world this way, in a new life that shows the world what Christ did for me and my grateful heart because of what he did. You get me off on uh, ungrateful, and I have, a, I have a whole afternoon for you. The world today, in my estimation, is largely ungrateful. Self, self-serving victims. <laughs> you know where I'm coming from. And so here's the last passage. Matthew 28 and 19, it says this, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Jesus opened his ministry being baptized. He closed his ministry commanding us to be baptized and said this, teaching them to observe all things. Acts 10 and 47. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? You see, obedience, obedience to Christ brings the light and the joy of the Christian life. The last verse, and we ended with this where we started, the eunuch 
the eunuch, Ethiopian eunuch. It says there, what we read was this. This is the 39th verse. And they, when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went away rejoicing. Obedience to Christ brings joy. Now, who doesn't know that? There's a Christian here this morning. Obedience to Christ brings joy. Disobedience brings When I was a boy, my dad said, do something. I'd say, hmm. And if he came home before I got it done, wherever he was, I was somewhere else. You ever do that? If my dad walked in the living room, I went to the bedroom. If he came back down the hallway, I went to the kitchen. If he came to the kitchen, I went outside. I didn't want to be where he was because I hadn't obeyed what he told me to do. Did you know I feel that way about the Lord today? I'm the pastor of the church. And I know Janet Bragg's on me all the time, but I have faults. Well, I have one. Almost invisible. That's the fault. I'm a liar. But listen, listen, I'm telling you the truth. I'm a Baptist preacher, Christian, been for Christian for... I'm 64. I was saved when I was 10. That's 54 years of learning how to live this life. And I'm a sinner. And when I sin against the Lord, I don't feel like studying that day. I don't feel much like praying too much. I don't feel like I'm worthy of talking to him or hearing from him at that time. Now, I know what the answer is. What is it? Confession. And I go before him and say, Lord, you know, you know, and I know and Forgive me, I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry I, I did that. It may be something I said. Maybe something I did or didn't do, but it's just something I know the Lord told me, and I didn't do it. And until I get that straight with the Lord, because 1 John 1, 9 is still in the Bible, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I can go in there feeling like the dirtiest pig on the planet, and after a time with the Lord, I am so clean. And I get up, and my heart is just so full. Lord, thank you. This is the Lord that saved me. This is the Lord that's keeping me. And this is the Lord that cleanses me along the way so I can stay in fellowship with Him. Do you sin? Do you ever say? Do you ever do? Do you ever not do or say? He's wonderful, folks. And I'm excited this morning. We have eight or nine, I think, baptisms this morning. I'm just going to start grabbing people and put them in there. Well, we have more. People come up to me and say, it's a hot day, can I get in the water? There's a rumor going around I'm in the two-piece this afternoon. That's not true. It's not legal, but it's what I wear, and I get in there. We're going to have a good day, folks. It's going to be a good day. And I am so grateful that many of you want to follow the Lord in the obedience of baptism. And our prayer today and from this day forward will be, as we do every time, I pray this, that you're really following him with your life. Just like you're, just like you're confessing in the baptism. I'm going to be raised to a newness of life. I'm going to be kinder. I'm going to be gentler. This in a political statement. I'm going to be sweeter. I'm going to do what the Lord says. Even when my spouse acts like they act, I'm going to be nice. Right? 
I need quiet from up in this area. I need, I need a... Janice being baptized today. Yeah, she was baptized when she was younger, didn't know, didn't know she understood it all, so we're gonna... Sprinkle? I'll hold you, I'll get you, you're gonna be no, you're gonna be baptized. When I get her under there, the sermon begins. You've only got seven points, you'll be all right. Everybody good today? This is what baptism is. Baptism does not save you. It does not keep you saved. It's got, it doesn't make the Lord love you more. It doesn't find favor with the Lord particularly. That will be your life and your obedience. Baptism is identification with what's happened to you at salvation. You ask the Lord to save you. He came into your heart. He saved your soul. You have now the earnest, according to the first chapter of Ephesians, the earnest of your inheritance, the Holy Spirit dwelling sealed inside of you. That is why if you're a Christian, I don't care what they say on television, this is the mouse screaming at the elephant, I don't care what they say on television and whose name you're listening to, you cannot lose your salvation, you cannot go to hell. If you get saved, listen to me closely, if you get saved, you have sealed inside of you until the day of redemption the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is not going to go to hell. Christ did that once, paid the debt, He's out, the Spirit doesn't go. We're sealed with the Spirit. We don't go. He don't go. He's with us. And let me tell you this. Everything in the Bible is a spiritual manifestation pictured by a physical truth. The physical truth of your salvation is you got saved. You were born into a family. And I don't care what you do at the courthouse and what you say at the coffee house and what you tell your neighbor across the fence. If you were born into a family, that's your DNA, that's your bloodline. You can change your name. You can change everything about it. You are still, in the courts of heaven, the son and daughter of that couple. You are still siblings with your other siblings in the family. You can disown them. You can not like them. But it doesn't change anything in the courts of heaven. That's why when you're born again, you're a child of God in the family of God, and you can never be disowned. And the second truth is, and we're done, I promise. The second truth is, when God saves you, when God saves you, He borns you into the family, and then He adopts you just to make sure it takes. He adopts you. If you adopt a child, you cannot disown them. That's on the, that's on the books, folks. If you adopt a child, you can't disown them, and if you die, if you have one dollar, they can't be disinherited. They get the dollar. You have seven other kids and one adopted child. If you die and there's one dollar, it goes to the adopted child. They have to get the inheritance. Isn't that something? Think about that now. Lord said, we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. It's an amazing story. Congratulations to all of you who will be baptized today. Hope you live like it. Hope you mean what you're saying. I'll ask your spouses in a week. I'll ask your co-workers in a week. Did you, did you see a newness of life there? Yeah. It's worse than it was. We're going to go over there in a few minutes. Right now we're going to go downstairs. Whoever wants to. Whoever wants to be here. All, everybody's welcome. We have sandwiches and chips and drinks and stuff downstairs. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take this hour. The other church has to get out of there. And we're giving them till 10 till 1, and we're going to go over there and do that. So they had a baptism this, this week and one last week. And so we're going to go over there at 10 till 1. We're going to be there, leave here about a quarter till.